This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. Who's responsible and who's going to be held accountable? Sorry, sorry doesn't do it because it just keeps happening. We need to know how this is not going to happen again. Right now, I've seen nothing to indicate that any lessons have been learned. Tell me, tell me, convince me that convince me that I can believe that the front office isn't going to do this again. That we're not that they're not going to just let abuse happen and hope that nobody goes public with it. Because that's what's happened. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, brought to you by our friends at Libro FM. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, a Tacoma abroad. It's late February, and my beloved Sounders have begun their Champions League campaign. And in fact, they'll have their first home match later on this week. And if I get my stuff together, we're going to have a uh, season preview later on this month. But today, I want to talk about something more important than wins and losses against like a random team from Honduras. My guest today is Shiba, and Shiba is somebody who I have uh, known for... I feel like a decade online, and actually we met once. And she is a educator like myself, uh, a fan of the beautiful game like myself, and is very active in the support scene for the Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns down in Portland. And I want her on today to talk about what's going on with her beloved team, because if something like is happening with her team, what's happening with my teams, I'd want a platform to shout about it. So she welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nate. Thanks for having me. I recently finished a book called The Ball is Round, which is a history of soccer. And it's this fascinating thousand page tome. And one of the points it really drove home is that like every country has their native football. Uh, so like there's Australian rules football, there's Gaelic football, which might be the best football, honestly. And then there's like there's rugby leagues and soccer. Uh, unless you are, I don't want to say, for, for a lot of folks, soccer fandom is a choice. Like we, we, we opt into soccer and opted, opted out of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering, what is, how did you get started in Portland Timbers fandom to become so involved with uh, the 107ists and Timbers Army? So I was an actual classic soccer mom. I had kids who played soccer, and they played soccer for Bernie Fagan's soccer club. Bernie Fagan was a player for the Portland Timbers and, by the way, for the Seattle Sounders back in the NSL days. He is one of many of those players from NSL days who settled down in the Northwest after the league uh, folded um, and made it a home and helped to grow the game. I'm sure you can name a lot of players who did the same thing in Seattle. We have a lot of players from NASL who did, who did the same. So when I got to Portland and my kids were taking up sports and they took up soccer, Bernie, one of the things he did was he gave everybody on the team a season ticket to the Timbers. So in 2004, 2005, my oldest son had a season ticket to the Timbers. Well, you're not going to drop off a 10-year-old at the stadium and say, see you. So we got season tickets for the family. And I got hooked pretty quick. As far as the sport goes, I learned about it as an adult. I played competitive ultimate Frisbee. I was a two-time national champion for UC Berkeley and for the Maniacs in the Bay Area. So 
I understand field sports and I understand competitive field sports, but I didn't have a soccer background. But that was my way to understand what was happening with my kids on the field. And that was my way to understand what I was seeing on the pitch with the Timbers. And of course, even when stuff on the field was terrible, the stuff in the stands was electric. And I wondered as I was on the West side, which they used to call the library because it was so quiet. It was full of, you know, half empty. And then who was there was soccer moms and little kids running around and people on their phones and whatnot. And, um, and I was looking over at the North end going, who are those guys? Cause I, I want to party with those guys. And eventually I started, I found them online on uh, soccer city, USA, Scusa, which was the message board figured out when people were getting together and having pre-funks before games, started to lurk there, started to hang out for barbecue and whatever before games and got to know people real time, then really got stuck in with the community. And we, when uh, the season tickets were going to come on for 2011, when we were going to the new league, we agreed that we were going to do it as a family. So we bought, we bought season tickets and it was about that same time that somebody on the 107 uh resigned and they needed somebody who could step in for half of the term. And I thought, well, I can do anything for a year and a half and I've been doing it ever since. So um, that's a reader's digest version. I think. No, it's awesome. Well, and my story is not dissimilar. Like I was a huge NBA fan. And then in 2007, the Supersonics were ripped away from me, and I had, I, I was a kind of background soccer fan. Like I enjoyed watching like Fox Soccer Channel and like watching the EPL games either early in the morning or uh, Australian A League games late at night or vice versa, whatever. And then when the uh, Supersonics were dragged away, uh, I said I'm never going to watch the NBA ever again. And I kept the for about ten years, by the way. 2017 put me back in, uh, but I I launched hardcore into into Sounders fan fandom. And something that you said that I really appreciate is community. Like you and I have stood on the opposite sides of many stadiums screaming back and forth. If you think about it, the scheme of things and saying all sorts of unsavory things. Uh, but what really brings us together as soccer supporters is community. And like, if I'm being a fully transparent, there's been times I've been jealous of the community you all have in Portland, like the Timbers army and the Rose City Riveters are something really special. Uh, and they're probably North America's second best soccer supporters <laughs> after the folks here in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> We, we may have words about that, but we're, yes, thank you. No, for I, sure, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. For, but but, but I, I, guess, I guess my thing is, is that like I'm sitting here watching the situation and if it was my club, I would be outraged. And I know that it's very likely that you're outraged and I've seen that online. And so I just want to kind of talk through the various scandals that are facing your team mm -hmm. uh, and help listeners get their head around what's going on. Because what's happening in Portland is demonstrative of what happens in our society. And one of the things that I appreciate about soccer and football supporter communities is, is that we try to hold each other to a higher standard of accountability. And it feels like that accountability uh, is being lost in this situation. And so let's, I don't, I don't know, there's, there's no good way to do this. Let's just start with this. Uh, if somebody is tuning in to this show and they haven't been following things, uh, can you talk about who Paul Riley was and uh, what happened with him last season? Yeah, without getting too far into it, uh, Paul Riley was a coach for the Portland Thorns. And in uh, 2015, the the front office for the Thorns let his contract expire. And a few months later, he was picked up by another team in NWSL. He, play, he coached for uh, uh, Flash and then for the Courage, I believe. And um, so, so he had been a coach with us for a few years. And uh, in Six years after uh, his contract expired, an article came out in The Athletic. Uh, Megan Linehan uh, 
had an article where Manishim and Sinead Fairley, both former players from the Thorns, described allegations of sexual abuse and sexual coercion by Riley. Um, Sinead described things that had happened prior to being his being at the Thorns, as well as things when he was a coach at the Thorns, because she had worked with him prior to being at the Thorns. And and Mana also talked about some specific things that happened during that year, uh, during during well during the time that he was with the Thorns. So the the allegations dropped on the 30th of September and um, just shocked everybody, right? Because this is this is a thing that we knew nothing about, that there wasn't, when he was released from the team, he was, they let his contract expire. There was nothing about being fired with cause. He went on to coach in two other teams in the league for years. There were congratulatory messages from the owner of the Timbers and Thorns for his work with other teams. So there'd be no way that any of us would have had any indication that anything was wrong as far as the club, as far as the club knew. Right. And um, four days later, uh, Merritt Paulson posted an open letter essentially saying we're going to do better. Here are some things we're going to do. And then pretty much silence, right? That there was going to be an investigation and they were going to share the results of the investigation with us um, in some reform, make it all public. Um, and then really nothing else. Yeah. And uh, there are investigations going on with USSF, with NWSL. There are multiple investigations going on surrounding um, the issues with Paul Riley and with other coaches in uh, the uh, women's soccer league, the end of cell. So those investigations are ongoing. There was an internal, it, it was implied that it was an internal investigation, but it was more like a review of business practices as I believe what the player statement said. Um, we haven't heard officially from the front office about that. We heard about it in posts that players made on social media with statements that, you know, they had all agreed that they were going to make, but we haven't really heard anything official from the front office about it yet. So there, so that's massive, right? How is it that, um, somebody comes forward, she came forward, I believe on like the 16th or 17th about the allegations in 2015. And then a week later, they let his contract expire and nobody hears anything about it. And yeah. presumably if the article in the athletic hadn't come out, he, would still be coaching in the league. You know, he would still yeah. have, he would still have this position of power and authority over, you know, over soccer players in the women's soccer league. Horror, well, it's, it's horrifying. Tantamount to the, it's tantamount to the abuse scandals in the Catholic church, right? Where mm -hmm. like you have somebody who is accused of predatory behavior and then they get kind of shuffled off and nobody says anything. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like it, it very well, unless these allegations would have come to light, the only reason why we know about the behavior in the past is, is these allegations came to light. And this, this was an opportunity for the ownership group to say and to highlight like this, is, we're not going to tolerate this, right. but their silence on it implies tolerance. And right. I guess one, one framing thing for folks listening is, is that, and Shiba, correct me if I'm wrong on this, is so the Portland Thorns FC is one PTFC mm -hmm. and Portland Timbers is the other PTFC. But both both PTFCs are owned by the same person, Merritt Paulson, correct? Who, by the way, is the son of Hank Paulson, uh, two thousand eight financial scandal, uh, financial correct. crisis, correct? Uh, and then the one hundred sevenists support both of those, correct? Through the Timbers Army and the Rosie Rivers. Yes, it's so. Yeah. If I could make the org chart for you here on the podcast, essentially what we have is we have one club that mm -hmm. has two teams in two different leagues. So. The great thing about that is you have economies of scale. You have people who already know how to do things like ticketing and stadium operations sure. and all those things. And so you, the, there, there were some great things built in from the start for the Portland Thorns that 
gave them the opportunity to become, I would say, the marquee women's soccer team, certainly in the United States, if not North America, if not the world, in terms of support and um, and, and all the things that, that come with that. So the front office is the same for both. Um, there are some staff members who do one one team or the other, but there's also staff members who, you know, who double who double up. Right. Um, and the owner is the same for both. The 107 Independent Supporters Trust is a nonprofit, and it's essentially the engine behind the two supporter groups, the independent supporters groups. And the I in IST is independent. We're, we have nothing to do with the front office. We don't take any money from the front office. Um, the thing that we have in common is we want our clubs to be well and do well. So um, they're a business. We're supporters. So yeah. our common interest is in uh, excellent results on the pitch, right? And and having uh, access to electric games, and that's fascinating and fabulous and fun. Then there's the places where we differ, right? Because as supporters, um, for us, it's not about the money. It's about it's about team, town, Timbers Army, and Riveters, and that's that's essentially what the 107 is is about. Is we support our teams. Uh, we are here for our community, for, for the Portland area writ large. And, you know, we have supporters around the country and around the world, and they're part of town, too. It's the town that you're in and uh, and each other, the Timbers Army and the Riveters. And that's the community part that you alluded to. So um, so the 107 is just the overarching umbrella. And then you have supporters of one team or the other. And there's obviously some crossover. Some people are really, you know, strong supporters of both. Some people more one than the other. So, so yeah. Well, and- so something that I've sensed online is that this has been there's been a deterioration in the relationship between the supporters and the club. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the episodes we did in 2018, I want to say, about like anti-fascist symbols in the Iron Front. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong here, as you all as an organization have been more and more critical of the ownership group, mm-hmm. that the ownership group has become more distant with you all and not having the meetings I used to offer and the access I used to offer you all in the communications. Yeah, we we haven't had a meeting with them since the article dropped. And we used to meet with them once a month. I mean, like I said, I've been on the board. Uh, it's an elected board and I've been on it uh, every, every, you know, since 2011. We've had meetings every month, but they stopped right after the article dropped. Now, I will say that the front office has recently reached out to us following the other allegations in the other club that we'll get to in a minute. And we we are scheduled to meet in a couple of weeks which would be the first time in five months, I think. So here, let me let me read uh, from this letter that the organization put out to you all uh, after the article in The Athletic. And again, this is just corporate speak as I'll get out. As a team and organization and as individuals, the Portland Thorns have zero tolerance for harassment or discrimination of any kind. Within hours of receiving a complaint against our then coach six years ago from Mana, the first and only we have ever received from anyone, we, one, placed Coach Riley on immediate suspension, Two, conducted an investigation that claims uh, within, sorry, conducted investigation of the claims that within a matter of days led to his termination. And three, shared everything we learned with the investigation with the NWSL. So let's pause there and go through those. Mm -hmm. Um, Was his suspension announced publicly when it happened back in 2015? Nope. No. No. None of that was you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier on that, like, basically, they they let his contract run out. But Mm -hmm. he's saying they're saying in the letter here that he was terminated immediately afterwards. Yeah. And so they what they did, they they implied that he just they let the contract run. They had a bad year on the field. Right. And so it was a pretty easy assumption for the public to make that, well, you know, results on the pitch matter. And, uh, you know, 
happy trails. We're going to get somebody else, right? So there was absolutely no indication that it had anything to do with anything other than, you know, bad results that year. So then they go on and say, let me be unequivocal in saying that I as team owner and we as an organization disavow the culture of silence that may have allowed for additional victimization by a predatory coach whose actions we forcefully condemn. So we condemn the actions that we basically engaged in a cover-up of and allowed to continue. And by the way, we're not going to communicate with our supporters who are the people who are best positioned to hold accountable. Yeah. And the, the thing about uh, the accountability in terms of just, you know, connecting with us as supporters, I mean, I, w- I want accountability writ large to make sure that everybody in the organization is safe, you know, whether it's players, whether it's players' families, I want to make sure that predatory behavior is not allowed to happen. And, you know, so yes, come to me as a supporter, but I don't want to be mad about a meeting with me. I want to be mad that, that that sort of behavior is allowed to continue and that nobody hears anything about it until it comes out in the press, right? The press should not be the way that you have accountability, right? You yeah. need to have internal accountability for, for actions like this. And um, as far as the supporter piece and not talking to us, uh, again, I, w- I want to set that at a different space because as much as that hurts and is different and, you know, the, the allegations are huge. I, I, would, mm-hmm. I would be happy to never meet again if I was 100% certain that, um, that players would be safe, that players' families would be safe, that, um, that, that abuse would not be uh, tolerated, wouldn't be allowed to continue, and that there would be some accountability for it happening, right? I don't see any of those things right now. Um, at the time, of course, they postponed meetings, like, we're not ready to meet with you. Like, yeah, I'm sure you're not. That's okay. We know you got stuff to work through, right? So they would postpone, then cancel, postpone, cancel. We didn't actually know that they were going to say, we don't really want to meet with you at all anymore until um, until the ESPN article came out in January, which you can get to. But um, so, you know, we every month we had a scheduled meeting and we would just say, hey, if you're ready, we're ready for you. And no, not yet. OK, OK. All right. Fine. You know, even when we were going to be hosting MLS Cup, we thought, you know, you might want to talk to the supporters. It might be good to sit down with us. We may have a few things in common we'd like to work out. They're like, well, we're happy to, you know, deal with the, you know, a few game day ops people during, you know, for emails and that sort of thing. But they still didn't even talk then. So anyway, like I said, that's at another level. But it's 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 so interesting because you're right. There's there's two threads to tug at. So essentially, one of the most special relationships between a team and its fans on the continent is being ruined by the team's operations in general, basically. Right. Right. And then at the same time, women are being abused both mm-hmm. on the women's team, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about in the second half, uh, a spouse on the men's team. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the organization has done more cover-ups than transparency right? Uh, while putting out these statements saying, oh, we, we're going to be transparent, be transparent. When, okay, let, yeah. let, let me do this. You, you said earlier on that basically both organizations share a front office. And mm-hmm. so let me just ask this question just bluntly. Uh, to what degree do you hold Gavin Wilkinson, the current GM of both teams, accountable for what's happening right now? Well, again, because I don't have transparency, I don't actually know who knew what, mm. right? Like, I don't know who else got talked to because we know from the article uh, that that Mana got to meet with the head of HR, right? Um, but I don't know where those conversations went. We don't we don't have that information, right? Um, I don't know in the second allegation who who the player contacted. I don't know who knew about what happened in that. There, I, we just don't know who knew what in the organization, but it's pretty, 
let me let me put it in terms that you as an educator will understand because I'm a, I'm a school sure. I'm a school principal in my day job, right? Now, if somebody at my building, if there were a teacher, God forbid, there were a teacher who were, was abusing somebody, um, there's two possibilities. I knew about it and I didn't do anything, or I didn't know about it. And either one of those is terrible because if I if I knew about it and didn't do anything, I am I am guilty of the worst kind of you know, cover up and malfeasance. If if I didn't know about it, I it's terrible that I that it's going on, you know, like right under my nose, and I'm the supervisor and I'm not aware. So either way, I have some responsibility in that in that role. So I don't know how much Gavin Wilkinson knew about what and when, but you know, given the role that he has with the club, I don't see how I don't see how he he walks away and, and doesn't have some responsibility in this, in, in both of these things. Well, and, and the fact that the coach was allowed to remain in the profession and go on and work at two subsequent teams yeah, and, and likely engage in the same behavior. Yeah. And is not the only most that, part of yeah, all this. yeah. Yeah. And, and let's not forget that the team that he went to, um, the team that he went to, uh, I forget who the, was it? The, the owner is somebody who uh, is a former teammate of Gavin Wilkinson's. So it's not oh. like, I wouldn't expect that they wouldn't talk to each other. Right. Sure. Like, you know, again, getting back to my world, if there's a teacher moving from my building to some building across town, I expect that principal to give me a call for a reference check, right? You know, I how am I how am I not yeah, gonna yeah. how am I not gonna say anything? Right? Especially if you and I are like colleagues and we we used to be teachers together, right? How am I gonna how am I gonna not say anything? So again, I'm this is all inference on my part, right? No, for let's sure. Be, let's be fair. I'm just putting it in, in terms that I would understand and it just baffles me that that he was allowed to go on and coach. Right. Yeah. So. All right. So we'll take a break here and when we come back. We're going to talk about the most recent scandal, which I think in some ways is worse because it shows they've learned nothing. All right. We'll be back. And we are back. Thank you so much for downloading the show today. We're trying to have conversations on this network that are worth listening to and worth caring about. The nerd farmer podcast is part of the channel two, five, three podcast network. We're a network of shows giving you uh, voices, perspectives, and stories and giving uh, access to folks who don't have platforms necessarily elsewhere. Uh, Sheba is somebody who is very popular in the Portland soccer community, but not somebody who's going to have a large audience in Tacoma. And you're getting the opportunity to hear her uh, talk about these issues. If you enjoy what we're doing on the network, I'm going to ask you to consider joining the network as a member. If you become a member, you get access to our member-only Slack, which is jumping. Uh, Kenny Coble is dropping book recommendations again. And in fact, I'm going to talk about a book that I'm reading right now in a moment. Uh, but the member Slack is a glorious place. Uh, it's a place where conversations happen about civic activity. Uh, we do some organizing work and also just like just good, just good recommendations around town. And so if you want to become a member, and you should, a membership costs $4 a month or $40 a year, and you can get one at channel253.com slash membership. Again, that's channel253.com slash membership, $4 a month or $40 a year. In addition, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Libro FM. Uh, Libro FM is my Seattle-based audiobook seller of choice. It allows me to buy audiobooks without using evil Amazon, and that's really good for me. I'm trying to de-Amazon my life. Uh, if you join Libro FM using promo code Tacoma, you will get two books for the price of one your first month, and then each month your membership will be $14.99. And with that, you get one credit for a free book. Uh, one of the books that I finished recently is Firekeeper's Daughter. 
it's kind of sweeping the nation right now. Uh, I think the Obamas have bought the film rights to it. And it's a first-time novel by a, or a novel by a first-time writer who is 54 years old uh, about life on a Native American reservation in the upper Midwest. And it is uh, super, super engaging. The characters feel very, uh, very down-to-earth. And in my experience being a classroom teacher and the settings you lived in, and uh, it's, it's a, a great, great listen and a great, great read. Uh, in addition, I'm also listening to The 1619 Project, which is uh, by Nicole Hannah-Jones. And it is one of those, it's, it's just, it's, it is probably, well, let's do this. If we think about the reaction that is spurred in American politics today, and it is basically the trigger for a lot of the CRT moral panic, it might be the most important work of journalism of the last 20 years. And so uh, that's what I'm listening to right now. And if you want to check those out, again, LibroFM.com, no, sorry, Libro.fm, and then you can become a member using promo code Tacoma. All right. So Sheba, you wanted to clear one thing up. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, correct the record there. I was trying to remember who exactly was the connection between Western New York Flash and uh, and Gavin Wilkinson, and it was Aaron Lyons who was the um, vice president of of the Flash at the time. And they were teammates uh, from the Timbers, both both Kiwis. I don't know if they played together on the national team, but they're but they're but they're friends. So, so in the first half of the show, we were talking about the situation with the Portland Thorns and how basically there was a scandal that was. The, the team was not forthright with and was covered up. Mm-hmm. And you would hope an organization would learn lessons from that, but apparently we haven't. And so let's talk about the situation with Andy Polo. I'll, I'll tell you what I know and what I kind of understand, and then you tell me where I'm wrong or what I, what I misunderstand. Okay. Uh, so Polo is a player who the uh, Timbers signed a couple of years ago from mm-hmm. South America, mm-hmm. and he was involved in a domestic violence incident with either his girlfriend or his wife. Mm-hmm. and Basically, the team said nothing about it until his wife went on TV in South America. That's correct. And talked about being about being abused. Yeah. And then the team immediately terminated the guy's contract, even though they had knowledge of the incident. Do I have this right? Yes. Um, so in uh, May of uh, 2021, so um, there was a domestic. There was. Uh, uh, Genesis Alarcon, his partner at the time, uh, I believe either wife or, or partner, um, they were they were living together, but um, and and had kids kids with them. Uh, she called um, she called nine one one to report uh, domestic uh, violence, and um, she didn't speak English, so she had a friend who was trying to you know navigate to, and he called. Uh, according to according to what she told Peruvian TV, uh, he called somebody at the Portland Timbers front office, and two employees from the front office came. One of them is, I believe, a player relations or development guy, and uh, the other one is the Portland uh, Timbers and Thorns head of security, Jim McCausland, a retired Portland police officer. So, um, so these are the two people that uh, that we know were on scene uh, on the call, and. Um, as a result of her going, coming forward on Peruvian TV, um, the uh, Oregonian and a couple other places got a hold of the police record from the police report from that day. And uh, the police report lists out who was there and that they decided to bust it down to a misdemeanor. So, um, so that, that meant that he, I, I don't know these, I don't know all the 
the rules specifically, sure. but apparently that meant that they didn't necessarily have to detain him. That that essentially the head of timber security, timbers and thorn security, assured the officers that he would make sure that there would be peace, that um, you know that they would be separated, and so the police um, the police decided not to detain him. And um, once again, uh, we would never have known about this. Right. Um, they renewed his contract, you know, uh, prior to the start of this year. He was getting ready to do stuff in preseason. He had had a season ending injury right before, like the day before this happened. So he was so uh, there wasn't any issue with him playing, mostly because he wasn't he was sidelined for the season. But um, they re-signed him. So they knew not only did they know about this, they had people there. It wasn't like they heard about it. They were there. And they uh, they were going to continue on and just let him play until this went on until she went public on Peruvian TV, and so um, they first said when she went public on TV they were going to suspend him, and then she went on a second time with she uh, saying is essentially in Spanish. I've heard some of it. She said uh, you know they're acting clueless, but they knew from the beginning. And once that second piece went out and the police report went out, uh, the Timbers terminated his contract. Now he has. Sorry, I'm rubbing my head right now. This is, this is so okay. So I, I have to just recap this because I, I know I already recapped it, but it's it's so damning. So in May, yes, May, May of 2021, yes, yeah. The team dispatches two employees, one of which is the head of security, who is a retired Portland police officer, and we could have a whole nother conversation about the Portland Police Bureau and like their activities and the way that they treat marginalized communities. But I'm going to save that for right now. But just yeah, PPB is problematic AF. Mm-hmm. Yes. On behalf of the player, the team's employees basically do like a, hey, we got this with the local law enforcement. So they don't take the player into custody. Correct. Team says nothing. Right. Nothing is said to anybody until the victim of the abuse goes on TV back in Peru to tell her story. Correct. And then the team terminates the player's contract. Right. I just can you walk through just all the things that are wrong about that, if you don't mind. I don't think I can get all of them, but I'll I'll do my best. So, okay. um, in the you know the first thing is, um, MLS has rules about this stuff, right? If there's a player who is uh, accused of abuse, um, domestic violence, they have protocols. The the um, player is supposed to go through substance abuse and behavioral health uh, assessment, right? Um, it's supposed to be reported to the league. Neither one of those things happened as far as we know. I think there was an art, something that came out just yesterday where the league was saying, no, we, we didn't receive a report at the time. So that's problematic. Um, uh, Hennessy's said that the officer who was talking to her was talking to her via an interpreter on the phone. And I'm sure the interpreter was lovely and everything, but it's not like she was speaking some language that you can't, I mean, it was Spanish, right? Like how hard is it to find somebody you know, to to be there for um, a victim of of domestic abuse to, to speak Spanish on her behalf, right? She didn't have anybody advocating for her from the front office, right? The front office sent people, but it sounds to me like from and I'm not an expert, but just reading that police report, they were there uh, to make sure that that it kind of you know simmered down, that Andy didn't have to get the uh, you know hauled away, and and that. That no more law enforcement would be involved. I didn't see anything in there about, um, you know, making sure that she was taken care of, other than that there wasn't going to be any more violence that evening, and that there were going to be that she was going to be safe for the moment, right? Um, saying nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't understand that at all. I mean, <laughs> saying nothing about it and, and renewing his contract, right? Um, and I don't know under which CBA it would be because it happened in May and they renewed him, you know, for this season. But I'm sure that there are player protections in there as well. I don't know if any of those happened. Um, there's just so much wrong with what happened here. But the bottom line is, once again, somebody is somebody is hurt and the immediate response is not, wow, we have to figure out how this happened. We can't let this happen again. Um, it's more about, wow, we, we have to make, we have to make sure this never goes, this never goes public or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's fixed if, if, if nobody hears about it, like the problem is a problem when we hear about it in the press and that's just unconscionable. And I got to be honest with you, Nate, it makes me think, it makes me question all the way back because as you start said at the start of the show, the things that are happening in the club, sadly, they're not unique to my club, right? These things happen mm -hmm. in society. And again, I'm going to take the analogy of school. What happens out there happens in here, right? Think good things and bad things that are happening in society are going to happen in a club. It's what you choose to do that makes the difference, right? And because of the kinds of choices I'm seeing, I, I mean, I'm running back in my head. There was another allegation of domestic, uh, uh, domestic violence in 2012 uh, with, uh, with a player that, um, that eventually went away. There was an allegation in 2013 with an unnamed player, um, that was, uh, that was written off to a, he said, she said, not enough, uh, uh, not enough information to, to, to justify, uh, in a Kansas city away game. I mean, at the time I just, I, I took them at their word, but you know, you just kind of yeah. wonder, you know, we've had two former players, not, not when they were with the club, but two former players who, um, who were subsequently uh, charged with domestic violence uh, against their partners. And I'm not saying that that's the club's fault. Like I said, this stuff happens in society. What, what it makes me wonder about though, is what, what else do we not know? Right. If these are the two incidents that we know about, what are the ones that we don't? And it just scares me to think that there's a system in place that apparently is not transparent enough to share what's happening you know, warts and all the mistakes that are happening and accountable to say, here's, here's, here's who's responsible and here's why it's not going to happen again. Yeah. Well, and, and if, if we're being clear about this and particularly in the Northwest, so Northwest supporters groups are in theory, apolitical, but are filled with soccer enjoying urbanite lefties. And yeah. we, I think we all make peace for better or worse with the fact that like sports is capitalism. Right. And the, in modern sports, your team has to be owned by a multimillionaire and or billionaire. Right. And Merritt Paulson checks that box, right? Yep. I think we all make peace with like the commercialization of sports. Yeah. But like, I, I can't make peace with my team covering up the abuse of women. And I can't make peace with my team uh, covering up the abuse of women and then lying to me about not doing it again and doing it again. And, yeah. that, and that's the spot we find ourselves right now. Like. If this was a situation with Seattle, like I would be screaming like hell at Adrian Hanauer and Garth Lagerway about how this is unacceptable. And I, I just, I, 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 it's, it's so disheartening because what we have in Cascadia and our football community is special. Mm -hmm. And what the team is doing right now is destroying the relationship between the supporters and the team that they love. And what... MLS and NWSL and ESPN like to do is, is, is put pictures of ECS and put pictures of Timbers Army 
and put pictures of Rose City Riveters and put them on TV and show like this is the passion and fervor that we have. But they're working actively to undercut that passion with their actions. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, in in the run up to MLS Cup, we hosted MLS Cup, which, by the way, for those of you who you know aren't aren't the huge soccer people, uh, it, the, apparently the rhythm is. Portland goes to MLS Cup, then Seattle goes twice. Then Portland goes, then Seattle goes twice. So it was our turn. So we yes. hosted, um, but we hosted in the midst of the Paul Riley scandal, right? There were people mm. who were who are heartbroken and who can't see themselves giving more money to the club. I mean, I used to always say, like, I love my club. I tolerate my, you know, I love my team. I tolerate the league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you can't tolerate something, what do you do when you still love your club, but you just can't see yourself giving money? Now, different people take this different ways. Some people are like, you know, I'm going to pay my money. I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, shout it from the, in the stand and I'm going to be there for the, for the people on the pitch. But man, I'm going to be really loud yeah. about how I feel about the front office. And other people are like, I can't give them a dime. You know, people who've been season ticket holders since the beginning who couldn't see themselves renewing. There used to be a 13,000 person wait list for tickets for the Timbers. There's no way they burned it. It's done. They still had season tickets available. Um, you know, as you know, as recently as two weeks ago, that's unheard of. Um, yeah. Our stadium's smaller than yours. And so, you know, it was easy to sell them out, but there are people who are truly hurt and heartbroken. And in the run up to MLS cup, um, there was a point where, you know, people say they said the front office said, you know what, there's not going to be a deadline. We know that you're struggling with these things. People were like, I'm going to wait until I hear the results of the internal investigation from the front office before I decide whether or not I'm going to renew. Well, before we heard anything from the front office about, well, we still haven't actually heard anything from the front office other than from the players about the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, they said, hey, um, so tickets for MLS Cup are going to go on sale if you've renewed your season tickets your window is at this time. So there were some people who bit the bullet and said, you know what? This is the first time that we're going to host. I need to be here for the boys on the pitch. I'm going to renew my season tickets. And this is all before the Andy Polo stuff broke. Right. So, um, yeah, again, I I, I was just go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Just going to say, I mean, yes, we, we, we all have to make a concession to the fact that in order to enjoy this thing that we love in this capitalist society, rich people are going to have to own the team and it's a business. And I also understand that it's a business, right? And so sometimes they're going to make goofy decisions about, you know, a kit or, you know, something and, and I can, you know, be mildly outraged, but this is not that sort of a, of a concern. This is a completely different level, right? This is human rights we're talking about. And, and you can't, it's, how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that this is your club. I'm literally Rose City till I die. It's tattooed on my skin. And, you know, for the first time, I worked at the fan lot for a preseason game last week. I mean, our, our club, our our independent supporters club, I worked there for three hours to make sure that if somebody, you know, needed to uh, renew a membership or they wanted to get a, a ticket that somebody had donated that they could do their thing. I was there for three hours. And you know what I did? I locked up and I went home. I mean, sometimes I'm going to go to games, like if I've got friends, if my kids are there, but it's just, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just taking it one game at a time because I don't know how to support the team I love. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking and, and, and infuriating. One thing that we missed or I missed as as host is, is, so you mentioned that the polo, the, the Andy Polo domestic violence incident was in May, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But for, for, for folks who are listening, 
when was his contract terminated? Uh, February, like a couple weeks right. ago. Yeah. Like it happened as it happened when she went on uh, Peruvian TV, which was, you know, within the last week or two. So, um, so, so the second, this is the second example we have where the team is showing that they don't care about keeping women safe. They care about responding to press attention about them not keeping women safe. Yeah, it's the second time in a row. It is the second time in a row that the accountability happened after somebody went to the press. In this case, when Hennessy's went to the press in Peru. So here, here's my wonder, I guess, is, is, is so we talked about Galvin Wilkinson being the manager GM for both teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merritt Paulson is the owner of both teams. Mm-hmm. And don't I, I could go on a long rant about Hank Paulson, like his kid being named Merritt, like the irony of that I have a lot of thoughts on, but we're going to skip that for right now. Uh, if Merritt Paulson was listening to this, what would you say to him? Who's responsible and who's going to be held accountable? Sorry. Sorry doesn't do it because it just keeps happening. We need to know how this is not going to happen again. Right now, I've seen nothing to indicate that any lessons have been learned. Tell me, tell me, convince me that convince me that I can believe that the front office isn't going to do this again. That we're not that they're not going to just let abuse happen and hope that nobody goes public with it. Because that's what's happened. So what are you in a personal capacity or the 107ist or Timbers Army or Rose City Riveters, this Venn diagram of organizations that which you're kind of at the hub of, uh, mm-hmm. what are you calling for? Well, two simple things. We want some transparency. Right now, we've heard very, very little from the front office. Um, since the original scandal broke with Paul Riley, uh, there was an open letter from Merritt Paulson and very little else. There was player sta- mm-hmm. we, we learned more in the player statement that came out than we've learned from the front office. So we need we need to know more about what what has happened and what is happening because if you want to restore uh, the trust and the faith you have to let us know what happened look we're human right we all have to learn how to do better and be better on this planet but you can't do that without some honesty with yourself and we want some transparency we want to know what happened what are you doing differently and then the second thing is accountability I still don't understand how literally no one <laughs> seems to have lost their job over these over these things. Like Gavin was suspended uh, as general manager from the Thorns, but not the Timbers. Like when he was when he was suspended during the initial investigation, he was suspended from the Thorns, but uh, presumably still going to work for the you know I like just don't wear anything red to the office. Like I don't know how that works, right? Again. I don't know enough to be able to say this is the guy. But either way, either you knew or you didn't know, and either one is unacceptable in that position. So there should be some accountability from the front office. You can't just say sorry. That's that's not enough. If you want to restore trust with players, with uh, supporters, there should be someone held accountable. So it doesn't so that so that people know this is what happens when you allow abuse to occur, because right now what it looks like is when you allow abuse to occur and it and it gets in the press, we'll put out a statement. We'll we'll do an internal investigation. And, you know, I don't know what's coming of that yet. I, I I would like to hear some things. But those are the two things we want. We want transparency and we want accountability. Well, in the callousness of it all, like I, I saw a tweet that was like pulled down where like the 
basically the guy who manages membership and tickets for the organization. Joe Coat. Some, yeah, somebody tweeted like how frustrated they were and that they weren't going to be renewing their tickets. And like the guy replied in a really callous way, like, I thought you were a former fan or a former, like, like as, it, it, there's, there's been the, the, the disregard for the people that make the experience at Portland special is, is, is it's, 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 it's so frustrating. Uh, I guess, extra question here for you is, so the people listening to this are going to be people largely in the Northwest, but also like in other places. Mm-hmm. And so how can listeners who are not in the Portland area uh, support you all? Well, off the top of my head, I can think of a couple of things. First of all, if you are a supporter of the Portland Timbers of Thorns, no matter where you live, if you are a member of the 107 Independent Supporters Trust, they notice things like numbers. They want to know uh, how many people we're representing when we talk to them. So if you'd like to join up, you can go to 107is.org. It's the best 25 bucks you'll ever spend. Um, but more importantly, I would say wherever you live, hold hold your sports teams accountable. Get involved with organizations who support victims of domestic violence. Shine a light on what's happening and make it visible. Um, we we know these things are happening in the big world around us. We need to make sure that in the in the places that we gather uh, in community that they're safe places. We need we need people to know that. Players are safe, families are safe, communities are safe. So, so get involved in your local community and and expect better from your sports teams. Because again, sadly, it's not just the Timbers and it's not just the Thorns where we see where we see the abuse happening. That's really well said. Um, if people want to follow you on the socials or follow the 107ist, uh, mm-hmm. where should they where should they look? Uh, so, I pretty much only live on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Shiba in PDX. If you would like to follow the 107ist, the Twitter and Instagram is. 107 is 107 ist uh timbers army is uh timbers army with uh, all all smushed together and uh let's see riveters is i believe pdx riveters that would be pdx riveters sg and so you awesome. can uh you can follow along thank there. you for coming on making okay. time for this this is an important conversation and i'm really glad that i'm able to lend you my platform uh forgive my closing because this is my typical closing uh <clears throat> wakan if ever y'all Make sure that you are boosted and vaccinated. Convict the police that killed Manuel Ellis and go Sounders. Two out of three. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast. My name is Nate and I'm your host, an American... I changed the intro and forgot it right, Doug, so try again. (laughs) Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.